Markel Fultz. My name's uh, Zion Harmon. RJ Hampton. I'm Moses Brown. Nas Reed. We're here with Marvin Bagley III. Hello there. You are now listening to The Appointment with Dr. J. It's been two months. Two months since we've last had a podcast, but today we're back. Welcome to episode three of The Appointment with Dr. J. It's great to be back here recording, and more than anything, it's great to be back home for the summer. Just wrapped up my second university on Tuesday, and these past few days have been pretty busy. Needless to say, uh, just traveling, you know, packing, getting unpacked, trying to get recruiting out of the way as well. So now that's all, that that's, you know, pretty much all wrapped up. Feels great to be able to just kick back, take a breather, and finally get back on track with podcasting. In the NCBCA world, we've just recently eclipsed the halfway mark of the recruiting period. Today is going to be day three of recruiting. So by the time you guys are hearing this, um, day three will have already started. But regardless, this is an optimal time to take a look back at what's been an eventful start to the recruiting period thus far. So plenty of great battles, you know, see some programs who are on the rise, some who are retooling and gearing up for some big runs this coming season. And we've seen plenty of incredible performances thus far on the recruiting trails that we're going to take a look at. Today we'll dive into everything recruiting and more. The format of today's show is going to be inspired by an idea that YK had, which is to run through the top 10 recruiting classes up until this point. Once that's all wrapped up, I'll take a look at some other notable recruits, where they ended up, um, if they weren't already mentioned in the top 10 recruiting classes, and then to finish things off, we'll take a look at some of the questions from you guys. With that said, let's not waste any time. Here are the top 10 recruiting classes at the midway point in the 2029 recruiting period. I should mention that these rankings are in no particular order as well. So it's just going to be random, 1 through 10. Um, no matter which one I say first, which one I say last, it, it's not indicative of where I think they actually place. It's just uh, we're taking a look at the 10 best overall, no particular order. To kick off today's list, we're taking a look at a program that is, I think it's safe to say, a staple on this list um, for quite some time now, and that is the Michigan Wolverines. Their class this year is led by the number five overall recruit, guard Paul Turner. Turner is a big-time scorer more than anything. He can really hit a shot from behind the arc. He's a great defender, and if need be, he's capable of playing a lead guard spot for the Wolverines, perhaps uh, backing up Mateo Nash as a point guard for this team because he is a great ball handler, and he can move the rock exceptionally well as a combo guard. Joining Turner in Michigan's class this year is Kevin Woodard. He's the number 15 overall recruit in the country. And to be quite honest, he's one of the most unique players in this year's class. He's a stretch five with an already established three-point shot. On the defensive end, he's a capable rim protector and an interior defender already. Um, He will likely 
be a two-year player at the very least, considering he's more of a high upside guy. But I think the longer he sticks around in school, the better chance he has to develop into one of the best players from this class. The third five-star from Michigan's recruiting class this year is Harry Worrell. Um, he doesn't have the seer, the uh, the ceiling rather that Woodard or Turner do, but he should be a really solid rotation guy for Michigan right away. And in a few years down the line, he could definitely be a starter for this team. He's a very polished player in many facets of his game, and he does have the chance to develop offensively into a stretch five similar to Woodard, um, which if that becomes the case, Whirl could definitely be a deadly player moving forward. The last confirmed recruit in Michigan's recruiting class this year is John Donovan. He's kind of your prototypical glue guy. He's not going to wow you in any area of his game in particular, but he's a guy who literally has no weakness on the court. He projects to be a nice long-term player for them, probably a three- or four-year guy, I would expect, and he should be able to contribute regardless of how big or small of a role he plays. He's that type of player, and he's going to make an impact regardless of the situation. The last person I'd like to touch on is uh, the 26th recruit in this year's class, Fielden. He's not a Michigan commit yet, but he is someone they are in the mix for. So if they do land Fielden, you're getting a prototypical athletic defensive interior defender at uh, the center position. He's got a 7-2 frame. He's a top-notch finisher and rebounder already with a knack for blocking shots at the rim. He doesn't project to be a go-to guy offensively, considering his shooting attributes are quite underwhelming, but that's not going to be his role on this team anyway. He's just going to be your average center, your guy who gets rebounds, defends, and he should be a really solid guy moving forward for Michigan if they do land him. The next team on our list is the Memphis Tigers. Memphis is led this year by the number four overall recruit, Richard Mansfield. So taking a look at Mansfield, he's number four overall recruit in the country, which is a ranking that usually comes with obvious expectations, but in this rare case, it's probably not warranted for a guy like Mansfield. Contrary to some of the guys ranked ahead of him, like Crow, like Watts, and like uh, Ian Warner, he's a guy who projects more as a long-term player. He has a very high upside, and his contributions as a freshman are likely going to be limited in a role off the bench. But considering he does have a high ceiling, a higher ceiling than any player in this class, for that matter, he's got to keep your eye on a few years down the line. Eventually, once he reaches his potential, he projects to be a good 3 and D guy. He has upside of a go-to score or a secondary score, depending on the roster around him. And if the scoring doesn't develop quite as anticipated, um, he still projects to be an above-average secondary ball handler and athlete and he should be able to develop into a cornerstone player for us moving forward. The next player in Memphis's recruiting class is the number 8 overall player, Raymond Cox. And Cox is a player I had zero intentions of going for before recruiting actually began, but lack of interest from other programs was what really drew me into Cox. And uh, like Mansfield, he's probably going to be a guy who comes off the bench right away and contributes as a freshman. Um, considering he's more of a high upside guy as well. But he should be able to develop into an elite defensive big man within a year or two. And with the big men that are leaving in the coming year or two, obviously Myers, Tallarico, and Jamison Scott, 
he should be able to find plenty of playing time moving forward. If you're looking for a player comparison, he reminds me a lot of two former Tigers, uh, one former actually and one current Tiger, and that would be Steven Amato and A.J. Jamison Scott. Lastly, Memphis is still in the mix for two five-star guards, first of which is Ian Turner, who is currently has offers from Memphis, Miami, and Kentucky. Um, if we're being completely honest here, I'd rather not target a Warner here, and if everything goes according to plan, I'm hoping that the last recruit in this class will be filled by the number 11 recruit, which is Timothy Mendez. He's a combo guard who is a really unique player. He's a great ball handler, and he should be able to play more of a point guard position as opposed to your typical kind of scoring guard at the two spot that you typically find from these high-rated recruits. I would much rather have Mendez than Warner simply because I think we're going to be losing a lot of players at the end of this year anyway. So it would fit better with what we're trying to do to bring back Mendez because I think he's more of a two-year guy. Regardless, it's been a pretty fun class this year considering it's a small three three-player class. And yeah, that's about it for Memphis. Now, I know I said I wasn't going to rank these classes, but if I had to... I think it would be pretty tough not to put Georgia Tech as the number one ranked class thus far in the 2029 recruiting class. Georgia Tech has brought in seven impact players already, and there's still room for more, but for the time being, we're going to take a look at what is already in front of us. And the Yellow Jackets are going to be led this season by the number 17 overall recruit, Joe Frank. Joe is one of the most well-rounded guards in the entire class. He has great size at 6'6", at the combo guard spot, and he's already one of the best athletes in all of college basketball, despite not having even played a game yet. Offensively and defensively, he has no weaknesses. He can shoot it, he can handle it, and he can defend the perimeter just about as well as anyone in this class. And he's someone who will likely produce more than his overall or his recruiting, or his recruiting rank would suggest. Overall, he should be a phenomenal piece for Georgia Tech to build around moving forward, and his contributions will be felt immediately. The next member of Georgia Tech's recruiting class is the number 37 overall recruit, Robert Chittenden. Chittenden is a do-it-all kind of guy. He's an undersized wing, and he's a bit similar to Joe Frank, actually, although his ball handling is noticeably worse. He should be able to contribute right away, in just about every facet of the game, and he will remain an impactful player throughout his career, considering he can do just about anything you need him to. Georgia Tech has also brought in the number 45 overall recruit, Christopher Tran. He has plenty of upside to become a great defensive big man, although he might not be able to contribute a whole lot right away, which is why Georgia Tech also brought in the number 49 overall recruit, Roy Lujan, uh, he's a guy who will likely fill the same role as Christopher Tran, Christopher Tran projects to grow into down the line as the starting caliber center. But Luhan is a bit more polished right away. He can rebound, finish, and protect the rim really well. Um, he doesn't have a whole lot going for him outside of that. But what he does well, he is exceptionally well at. The next member of... The Yellow Jackets recruiting class is somebody whose name I don't know how to pronounce, but it's Pascal Rakaton Debray. Um, he's from Madagascar. 
He's a surprisingly really good player um, for the 63rd ranked recruit in this class. He's a great shooter already. He's a good ball handler. And at the very least, he's pretty competent in just about every other aspect of his game. He should be a decent player moving forward, although I'm not sure how much he'll be able to contribute immediately to Georgia Tech's success. Another player Georgia Tech is bringing in this year is the number 101 recruit. It is Christopher Burt. He's kind of an underrated wing guy. He has a great outside shot already, which is something that's extremely valuable whenever you're looking at lower recruited players uh, in the rankings. He probably won't do a whole lot right away, but he'll definitely be able to make an impact as an upperclassman if he's able to develop well. And the final member of Georgia Tech's recruiting class is perhaps the player who will have the biggest impact this coming season, and that is the Stanford graduate transfer Leon Forbes. Given that this is such a young roster heading into the 2030 season, Forbes is a guy who's going to be extremely important to their success. He's a great interior defender, um, great interior finisher rather. Um, he shot nearly 80% at the rim in his junior year at Stanford, and he should be a phenomenal mentor for some of the younger big men like Luhan and like Cran that they are bringing in this season. The fourth spot on the list goes to the St. John's Red Storm, who are led by the legendary coach Alex Cross in his first year at the helm. One of the more notable recruits St. John's pulled in is graduate transfer from Georgia Tech, Donald Miller, who was a former Cross recruit and player during his time at Georgia Tech. Um, he's coming over with Alex to St. John's, and he should be able to find a much bigger role at St. John's in his last year of college basketball compared to what he had at Georgia Tech. He was coming off the bench there. You've got to imagine that with a weaker roster at St. John's, there's going to be a bigger role available for a guy like Donald Miller. Um, he's a pure point guard type. He can kind of shoot the ball, defend, pass the rock, handle the rock. So he should be able to provide some much-needed leadership for some of the incoming freshmen. And one of those freshmen is the number 22 overall recruit, Sean Parmenter. Parmenter has a similar game to Miller, given his ability to shoot the rock uh, from deep, especially he can handle it and he can lead the offense. But he might even be a better player right out of the gate than Miller is already, even though he is a freshman. you got to believe that a guy like Parmenter is going to be given the keys to the offense from early on, much like a guy like Mark Morris was. Um, another player that Alex coached at Georgia Tech. He might not end up having the same amount of success as Morris did right away, but there is a comparison to be made there. You know, you got a freshman point guard, very talented, um, and he's in a position with a weaker St. John's roster compared to a lot of other programs, um, you know, near the top to uh, put up some big stats right away. I think that Parmenter is going to be able to come in and contribute from the get-go as a starting point guard and a true freshman. St. John's has not yet secured the commitments of George Dickens, who is the number 16 overall recruit, and Jeremy Bro, who is the number 44 overall recruit, but they're in the mix for both of them. Um, obviously, these would be huge additions to the program. Dickens is a big man from Boston who kind of has a similar game to Floyd Watkins, who's a bit of an offensive power forward, but he's probably not quite ready to step into a big role immediately. Um, if St. John's were to acquire Dickens, he would most likely, you know, be just a, a rotational player at this point and eventually grow into a starring role, 
whereas Bro is a pretty well-rounded guy, you know, the the blue, the glue guy type. And at this point in the recruiting process, you've got to believe that St. John's has a good crack again in both of those guys and bolstering their roster heading into the 2030 season. The next team on the list is the California Golden Bears from the Pacific Coast Conference. Now, although Cal only has one recruit who is officially committed to the team, um, it's worth noting that after those top four that I already mentioned, there is a pretty noticeable drop-off in terms of teams that have acquired both talent and uh, both quality and quantity in recruits. Um, there's a few teams who've acquired a lot of guys who we'll talk about a bit later on, and there's a few who've just required who've just acquired you know one guy at the top, and you know those teams who've acquired a lot at the bottom. I mean, I don't think it's as impressive as a team like Cal, which is why I'm kind of slotting them in next up with the big boys. Um, the only recruit they did pull so far is a guy named Michael Watts um, out of Leemore, California. He's a point guard, six five. And, of course, he is the number one overall recruit in the country. Um, Cal's got a good one here. They're going to pair him in the backcourt with uh, Timothy Kinney, who was a five-star recruit in last year's class. He's going to be back as a sophomore. But you've got to believe that Michael Watts is going to be given all the opportunity in the world to shine for this Cal team. He's an exceptional point guard. He's a great passer. And surprisingly, one of the best rebounders in this class as a point guard. He is 6'5", but his rebounding stats are off the charts. Offensively, he's not a great scorer, but he's good enough to get the job done. Cal, in recent years, has been a team that has fielded quite a balanced offensive lineup, so Watts will fit right in there. And as mentioned, his passing rating is extremely high, um, and he's a great dribbler as well. The athletic stats are there. Watts is poised for a big season in Cal. Um, he's one of the most talented players in the country, without a doubt. So Cal has a great, great find there. And Michael Watts coming in for sure. Um, but they're still in the mix for some other guys. And perhaps most notably is a guy named uh, Percy Trujillo. He's the 13th overall recruit in the country. Um, right now he holds offers from California and Pitt, I believe. So if Cal is able to get Trujillo, they're getting a player who I would compare to kind of a Jake Matthews, Daniel Bauer type. Um, I feel like those were two similar players that they had last year. Trujillo isn't a great shooter, but he's a great finisher around the rim. He's got a decent jump shot um, athletically. He's very strong, good athlete. Defensively, he's average, and as far as his ball handling ability, rebounding ability, it's all average or slightly above average. So Trujillo is kind of like, uh, he's a good fourth or fifth starter, I think, on a really good team. And if he goes to Cal, he'll fill, he'll fill that, uh, that role almost perfectly. So if Cal's able to get Trujillo to add on to this class with Watts already, I think it'll cement their class as one of the best in the country. But for the time being, they're definitely in the top 10 with just the number one overall recruit, Michael Watts. And to round out the top 10, um, as much as I'd like to take a look at each of these teams in depth, break everyone down, um, you know, and, and kind of talk about these players' roles on their, their specific teams, um, I'm in a bit of a time crunch right now, so I'm just going to fly through the remaining five teams on the list, um, just run through some of the recruits really quickly. 
So our final five teams that I would say are in the top 10 classes at the moment are Hawaii. They've uh, secured commitments from Holden, number 48 recruit, Smith, number 62, and Wheeler, number 72. We have Oregon State, who's had a surprisingly really strong class this year, actually. Um, they pulled the number seven, the uh, number 47th recruit, Rodriguez, 57, Chavis, uh, number 86, Davis, and the graduate transfer from Stanford, uh, Naranjo. Um, next up, we have Oregon who got a five-star in Oregon native Weinstein. He was the number 23 overall recruit. And they also pulled some lower-rated walk-ons in 74 Rodriguez, 76 Butler, and 94 Aller. And the final spot on our list, I mean, it's really a toss-up at this point. There have only been 51 players who have officially committed. So there's at this point, most of the schools that have pulled in a lot of guys are already on the list. So the last spot on this list really could have been, it could have gone to Virginia, could have gone to Texas, um, could have gone to USC, but I'm going to go with North Carolina for this one, um, simply for the fact that they got their first five-star in uh, good old Lightning McQueen there, number 24. Their first five-star in, I mean, probably like eight seasons or something like that, so I'm going to give a shout-out to North Carolina as the final team in our top 10 recruiting classes up until this point. And so with the top 10 recruiting classes all wrapped up, um, I'm just going to finish off before we get to some questions by running through the rest of the top 25 and kind of talking about a few players quickly, just filling you guys in where they're committed to, um, maybe what you can expect from the remaining five-star players in the class who we haven't already talked about. So, the committed five stars so far, we have Michael Watts, number one, going to California. Number four, Richard Mansfield, headed to Memphis. Number five, Paul Turner, is headed to Michigan. Number seven, Ernest Davis, the big man, is headed to USC. He is USC's highest rated recruit in a while. I know they got Jeremy Ferguson last year, but I think that Ernest Davis is going to play a huge role for them this year. USC just keeps on getting better and better year by year. And at this point, it's safe to say that they're well on their way to becoming a powerhouse in this league, and securing another top 10 commitment in Ernest Davis is just another sign of that. Right behind Davis in the recruiting ranks is the number 8 overall recruit, Raymond Cox. He's going to Memphis. At number 10, you have Bernard Strawbridge. He committed to Kentucky, who seems to be on their way to another strong recruiting class. They're just waiting on a few guys to commit at this point. Um, number 12 overall is uh, Jones, a small forward. He's going to Virginia. Nice to see Virginia get another five-star recruit this season. The number 15 overall recruit, Woodard. We talked about him. He's going to Michigan. Number 17, we have Frank, who's the Georgia Tech-bound guard. Uh, number 19, we have Oliver, the point guard, is headed to Texas. Texas retooling once again this season. Number 20, we have Worrell, the center, who is headed to Michigan, along with two other five stars this year. Number 22, Parmenter, is taken off for the St. John's rebuild. He's going to play a big role for the Red Storm this year. Number 23, we have Weinstein, the Oregon product, headed to play for Bucks and the Ducks. And at number 24, we have George McQueen, the first five-star to head to Carolina in quite some time now as he is the latest commit to the 
North Carolina Tar Heels. We're just about ready to wrap up today's show, but before we do so, I'd like to take a couple questions from you guys. Um, asked you guys if you guys anything you want me to talk about or uh, any questions you wanted answered. So I'm going to go through those right now. Um, contrary to the rest of the podcast, I haven't really done much research on these por- on these uh, these questions. This is just off the top of my head. Uh, I'm just going to do my best I can to answer all your questions that you've asked. So Tommy asks, with Mr. Maeda this year, things seem to be brewing for a crudeing battle. What's the closest crudeing battle you've ever judged? Well, a few come to mind. Um, obviously, Maeda this year, I haven't had a chance to vote on him yet, but he projects to be one of the closest battles, without a doubt. Um, lots of good schools, lots of great offers um, have been placed on Maeda. A few other ones that come to mind are Mason King um, from Stanford. That was a really, really heated battle. Um, you know, obviously, that was a lot of fun to judge, read through so many great pitches for that, um, and obviously the whole Survivor thing that went along with that. That was so much fun to... Uh, the whole recruitment process of Mason King was one of the most memorable, I think. Um, it wasn't necessarily the most competitive um, and hardest to judge, probably, but another one that comes to mind is Christian Jones a few years back. Um, I think Georgia Tech and Miami stand out as the two... The two real contenders on that one, both of those, those were two of the most in-depth pitches the league has ever seen. Um, two of the longest as well, but uh, you know that was that was really tough to judge too. I mean, I don't think you could have gone wrong with either one of those schools. And I think with competition from like the likes of Clemson, off the top of my mind, and uh, Texas Tech, I remember had a great pitch for Christian Jones at the time, one that still sticks with me today. Um, so obviously the Christian Jones commitment was really tight as well. I remember John Horning from a couple of years back um, when he was deciding between, I think, Creighton, Miami, and maybe Clemson. The uh, Horning vote was extremely close at the time. Um, there was another vote in the 2026 class. I think his name's Jeffrey Hudson. He ultimately ended up uh, going to UConn, but... He received votes for three different schools that year. Um, I actually voted for him to go to Creighton. Creighton had two votes. Pittsburgh had two votes. And UConn ended up winning that one with three votes. So looking back, that was another one of the closest votes in league history. Um, I think another underrated one, a few underrated ones actually, maybe Christian Varela between Indiana and Colorado State. That was a close one. Um, One of the closest ones that I've been part of is probably the LeBron James Jr. one. There was uh, obviously Memphis, Duke, and Kentucky who were a part of that one. That was not an easy decision to make. Um, Other than that, I mean, I'm not too sure. I'd say those are probably, probably some of the most competitive ones. I would say Jones, King, and maybe Maeda this year project to be three of the closest ones that I can remember. And this is my this is my tenth season, I think, on the panel. So I'd say those those three stand out as as some of the most competitive. So the next question from Tommy is, what is the best recruiting class ever, in your opinion? Um, 
this is one I probably should have done a little bit more research on. Um, obviously, I'm a bit biased, but I would, off the top of my mind, I would say that it might be the uh, Memphis class from, I want to say, 2025. Uh, let me check on that and make sure. The 2024, actually, 2024 Memphis class, I think, is, I mean, just based off of rankings, one of the, probably one of the more impressive ones. It, it featured, for those of you who might not remember, Mikel Tyne was number one overall, Patrick Nagongba was number three overall, Jonas Nichols, number five overall, Cohen Robatho, number nine overall, and James Bassett, who was number 28 overall. So, I mean... Just off the top of my mind, that's probably the the one that that really stands out the most. Um, I'd have to look back at that in previous years. I know that Indiana had some really impressive ones early on. I think there was one class where they pulled uh, Jaron Jackson, Mo Bamba, maybe Quinterly in that class, and I think another high rated, highly rated recruit. That was one of my first years in the league, so I don't remember that one too well, but I think Indiana had some good ones during Alex's early years there. Um, I mean, those are the ones that really stand out. I think Miami's had some great classes in the past couple of years, both under, uh, under Ruba and under Hose, so I think Miami's up there. Duke has had some great classes as well. Um, but yeah, I think if I had to pick one, I would go with, I mean, I hate to sound, you know, like I'm like playing myself up because Memphis, 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 but I would say that Memphis class of 2024 is probably the, probably the best recruiting class that the league has seen so far. Uh, YK asks, winners of recruiting so far, I think anybody in that top 10, um, or some of the other ones, if you pull the five-star. Um, I think you're all winners so far. I mean, uh, I would say Georgia Tech is probably the biggest one, just because they brought in so much. But obviously, if, if you were mentioned in that top ten, I think you should be really happy with the recruiting and how that's gone so far. Losers of recruiting, uh, I'm not too sure on that one, really. Um, like I said, there's only been 51 committed recruits or something like that according to the judging panel sheet so it's it's hard to say for sure who the winners and losers are so far some people might have lost on a recruit early on but i'm sure that there are plenty of backups still available at this point so i don't know it's a little bit early to say who the losers are of recruiting because as you probably noticed in that top 10 there's a lot of really great programs who haven't um, you know, secured commitments yet. So it might seem like a school like Kentucky or maybe someone like that is losing so far that they're not hauling in all those recruits after after a two-peat, but that's going to come with time. So we'll hold off on losers of recruiting so far. Um, next question, Blub asks, when is the podcast? So hopefully Blub's hearing this now. Uh, Bucks asks, Surprise team to look out for and most overrated team coming into the season. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's much of a surprise, but I really like Boston College coming in the next season. I think they were well. They returned so much talent on that team. They're going to be they're going to be a really strong team. And I don't have the talent rankings in front of me right now, but just off the top of my mind, I think that Oklahoma can really surprise some teams next year. They're bringing back two exceptional freshmen. 
um, rising sophomores rather, in Daryl Giles and John Thomas. And I know they're in the mix for, I believe it's Chandler, the five-star right now. They have some good talent off the bench who, they have a really young bench actually. Um, no seniors on the bench, so everybody's going to be back. They should have a pretty deep roster and I think Oklahoma is going to be really good next year, especially with development of those uh, those guys at the top of the roster. And to answer Bucks's other question, most overrated team coming in at this season, I mean, we'll have to wait and see on that one. It, it's hard to say without a complete roster, so I'm going to hold out on that for now. Next question, YK asks, early championship contenders. So off the top of my head for championship contenders, um, I'll go Boston College is up there simply because they returned so much of their roster from this past season. Um, they had a great class that came in last year, and pretty much everybody's coming back. They've already secured a commitment from a high four-star, and they're in the mix for Maeda and I believe the Croatian big man. Um, so, I mean, regardless of whether they get Maeda or the other four-star they're targeting, Boston College is looking really strong for next season, so I think they're definitely a contender. Um, obviously some bias here, but I think my uh, Memphis is another contender for next season. We're returning two of the better players um, in terms of talent in Christopher Myers and Sean Tallarico, and we're hopefully going to bring in a third third uh, five-star recruit in this year's class, so I think we should be towards the top of the league again next year. Um, I would also add Oregon into the mix. They've done a great job this season in filling their uh, filling some roster spots. They've done great, as always, with the lower-rated uh, walk-ons. So with a really strong returning group in Eugene, I think that, uh, I think that Oregon is going to be, once again, you know, one of the top five, top ten, like a strong contending team next season. And sticking in the PCC, I think Cal is going to be really good too. They're returning, I know, Kinney. And another five-star big, I think Benson is his name from last year's team. And they're bringing in Watts, and they're in the mix for Trujillo, like I mentioned. So I would say Cal is definitely going to be up there. Um, it's worth mentioning Michigan is going to be really strong again, obviously, this year. They brought in a really, really strong class, one of the best in the nation, without a doubt. I know they lost a lot from last year's team, but... They're also bringing back some nice pieces, Mateo Nash off the top of my mind, and you know this year's class, obviously really strong. Michigan's going to be great again next year, but outside of that, I mean, that's I think that's all I can say for certain off the top of my head right now. I mean, obviously Kentucky's going to be good, Duke's going to be good, Miami's going to be good. All the usuals, you know, are going to be good. Indiana's going to be good, all those teams, you know, but... We'll just have to wait and see. It'll become clear as recruiting wraps up. But for the time being, I would say those are probably uh, some of the contenders this season. And the last question I'll touch on is uh, Loom wants to talk about some younger teams, maybe that are up and coming. I would say, obviously, Georgia Tech pulling, I, I believe it's six freshman recruits this season, five of them in the top 100. And they're also in the mix for uh, Frazier, who's a five-star. I forgot to talk about him last time. But if they can pull him in, too, that's going to be one of the most impressive classes ever. Um, and they're going to be poised for success for quite a long time into the future with seven freshmen coming in this year. 
Um, that would be incredible for a program like Georgia Tech. Just off the loss of Coach Cross to replenish the roster, retool, and rebuild for a successful you know, next four years with those guys. So Georgia Tech obviously is a team to look out for that's really young. Um, I think speaking of Loom, you could easily throw Vanderbilt into the mix there, um, depending how their recruiting plan goes this year. I know they have one commitment already, and they're in the mix for a couple other guys, some good four-star recruits. So if Vanderbilt is able to hit on all their targets, I know they were a pretty young team last year. They should be looking good moving forward. Another team that's pretty young is St. John's. I know they do have a couple players who all the Holloway had recruited. So they have a bit of experience on the roster, and they're bringing in Georgia Tech grads transfer Donald Miller. But obviously Parmenter is a great addition, Bro is a great addition, and Dickens is a great addition. Um, if they're able to land those last two guys, I think those guys will set them up really well for future success. Um, another team I mentioned not too long ago is Oklahoma. All their benches returning, as well as two freshman starters from last year, Thomas and Giles, and they're in the mix for Chandler as well. They're going to be a really, really young team. Um, but yeah, off the top of my mind, those are those are some of the younger teams who I think can make some noise in the coming seasons. And with that, that's a wrap on episode three of the appointment with Dr. J. Uh, I'd love to stay and talk some more, break down everything in even more depth than it's already been broken down to you in this episode, but I've got some stuff to take care of, you know, this afternoon and later t this evening, so, you know, I've got to I've got to get ready. Got to go. It takes a little while to uh, to uh edit these podcasts, so I'm going to cut it off a bit short today. A little shorter than usual, but I'll try my best in the coming weeks to maybe prepare a season preview either that or a complete recruiting recap podcast maybe next week so stay tuned for that but in the meantime hope you guys enjoyed this podcast best of luck in the rest of your recruiting still a couple days left to go um you know keep putting in work it's been a great period so far so best of luck there and yeah have a great day see you guys next time